Welcome to Alphabet Soup, a podcast where we're going to work our way through a wide variety of biblical topics using the alphabet. Our goal, of course, is to understand the Bible better, but we also want to find ways in which Scripture applies to our daily lives. So with that intro, let's get to it. B is for Boaz. I always thought that was a great name for a big dog. It has to be a big dog. You can't name a Pomeranian Boaz, but, but for a great big shepherd or some, yeah, large breed dog, Boaz is a great name. He's also a great character. He's a character from the book of Ruth. Are you familiar with that book? It's a short book, only four chapters long. But even at four chapters, we haven't got time to go through the book. What we're going to do in this episode is give you some background to the book, explain a couple of the key features and the key uh, players in the book, and then please, please, please read the story. Back in the day, college campuses used to offer a course very often called The Bible as Literature, and the book of Ruth is great literature just by itself, just never mind the spiritual story. It makes great literature, When you read the book and then learn what's in it and the message that it contains, boy, it's just all the the better. So what we're going to do is is, uh, go through it. Now listen, we don't have time to explain all the customs that go on here. Some of them were unique to a fairly brief period of history here. That not long after this period of time, these customs disappeared. I say customs, most of them are rooted in the Mosaic Law. And, and, and got ignored, which was unfortunate, but they did. Anyhow, we're going to go through this book, explain some of the customs, some of the uh, key players, and how they interact with each other. And then I'm going to trust that you will take... How long does it take to read four chapters? I mean, you can sit down and do that in, in 20, 30 minutes tops. And it's easy because this is such a great story to read, just from that perspective. Please read it and get both the literature part of it and the message part of it. We are going to start with the introduction, though, because it's beautiful. The way this introduction sets up the story is craftsmanship in writing. It really is. The first five verses are incredibly dense. They're compact, and each phrase gives us loads of information. The first phrase In the days when the judges ruled, this book takes place during the book that precedes it, the book of Judges. Uh, Moses led them out of Egypt down to Mount Sinai. They spent two years, got the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, the Ceremonial Law, and the Civil Law. And then he took them up and to the east side of the Jordan River. Joshua led them across the Jordan River and set them up, each tribe, in its own allotted territory. Then Joshua died, and it took them all of two generations to go absolutely down to the bottom, morally, spiritually bankrupt. It was just, uh, the book of Judges says, each man did that which was right in his own eyes, which is to say, they ignored the Mosaic law, they ignored God's instructions, and got into all kinds of trouble. By the time you get to the end of the book of Judges, you are reading absolutely horrible stories. You know how on the news now, they say, before they show a video, they'll say, some of these images are disturbing. Well, I'm going to tell you, man, some of the stories in the book of Judges are disturbing. They're gross. They're disgusting. And here is this book of Ruth that takes place during that stretch of time. It is a uh, 
a beacon of light. It is just a wonderful story in the midst of what was a very, very dark period in Israel's history. Verse 1, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So in the first phrase, we get its, uh, this story's location on a timeline. In the second phrase, we get this story's location geographically. They were from Judah. They were from this uh, village of Benjamin, uh, Bethlehem. And that was, incidentally, just a small village. In New Testament times, there were maybe 200 people who lived in that village. So, so think of very small community. We probably have that many people living on the private road that we're on, uh, the dead-end road. Okay, a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Um, He is called a man of Ephrata because that is the region of Judah. That is is like a, um, oh, I don't know. You you take the tribe of Judah and, and then Ephrata is a smaller area and Bethlehem is a village within that. Okay, so the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife was Naomi. I always thought this uh, story would make a great musical, sort of kind of like a rock musical, like they did back in the day. They don't do those anymore. Uh, and it would, it would draw from what was music of the 60s and the 70s and change the words. And so you'd get a limelech, a limelech, a limelech. Now, if you're a certain age, you know right away uh, what that song is. And, and then in falsetto, and I obviously don't have any falsetto, never have had, uh, out in Moab, in godless Moab, a widow weeps tonight. Let me read the rest of the story and you'll understand. The name of his two sons were Malon and Kilian, and they were Ephrathites, see that's that region, from Bethlehem in Judah. They went, in, went into the country of Moab and remained there. Why? Because there was a famine. And they went where the food was. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Out in Moab, in godless Moab, the Moabites were not friendly to Israel. Sometimes the relationship between the two nations was better and sometimes worse. And right now, it's not terrible, which is why Elimelech went out there with his family. But but they were godless. They were, if not hostile, at least... uh, apathetic towards Israel, which is kind of surprising because they have a very similar genealogy. Uh, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These sons took Moabite wives. They should not have done that. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and both Malon and Kilian died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Look at that in five verses. It's just packed full of, you could not set the stage any more efficiently than this author has. And and the story then begins, the narrative begins in verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she's gotten word somehow that back in Bethlehem, the famine is over and she determines that she's going to return. 
So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Apparently they were two good, honorable women who have stuck by their mother-in-law, who is herself widowed. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. In other words, I hope that you can uh, remarry and have a good life. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Isn't that good? Don't you love that? The the relationship between a woman and her daughters-in-law is sometimes fraught with struggles. Um, but, But these three love each other. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, and go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Here's where we have to stop and explain Uh, what she's talking about, having sons who would then marry. There was a tradition back then. It's not a tradition. It's part of the Mosaic law. Uh, Interestingly enough, it was practiced in other cultures. And in fact, in some cultures now, it is still practiced. It is called Leverite marriage, L-E-V-E-R-I-T-E, Leverite marriage. The way this works is if a man dies, his brother is obligated to take the man's wife as his own, uh, have children with her, so that his brother's, his dead brother's name is, is preserved. His lineage is preserved. And that is a big thing in Israel because uh, the land is tied to the lineage. So she's saying, uh, given the practice of leveret marriage, Would you wait, even if I had a husband, and I'm not going to have a husband, even if I had a husband, and this night conceived sons, would you wait for 20, 25 years and marry them? That doesn't make any sense. You go, turn around, go back home, find a husband in Moab, each of you, and remarry, and and may the Lord bless you. They lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. That, that is, Naomi says, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. And now you get out your pen. You get out your pen and you underline this. Uh, beginning in the middle of, of uh, 16. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. That amounts to a conversion on the part of Ruth, 
Ruth is saying, your God is my God. She is aligning herself with the God of Israel, with the God of her mother-in-law. And where you go, I will go, and your God will be my God. That is what we would call a conversion experience. And, and Ruth has just taken a step into a whole new world. Can you imagine what it's like for her now to go to a, what is for her a strange land? She's never been there. People she does not know. A language she probably does not speak. Maybe your mother-in-law taught her a little bit, but with, with unique customs and traditions and standards of behavior. And yet she is so bound to her mother-in-law in love and connection and compassion that she says, your God is my God. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Again, a little village. The women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. The word Naomi means pleasant. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now we've got a further indication of time. That probably doesn't mean anything to you, but barley is the first crop to mature and ready to be be ready to be harvested in the spring. So we're talking late April, early May. We're talking about this time of year. Barley is the first crop. They will then spend the next three to four months harvesting. This book takes place during harvesting, what we typically think of as fall months. When do you start harvesting here? If you've got a vegetable garden out back, um, what's the first thing that comes up? Uh, we've got a we've got a vegetable garden. Pam is in charge of the vegetable garden. Every year the radishes are the first, so you know that it that things are starting to roll when you got radishes coming up, and then you pull the radishes, and if you want, you can plant some more. One of the last things to mature and be harvested is corn. We have I'm looking out the window here of my little cabin that I turned into an office, and I'm looking at the fruit trees, which are just now budding. Uh, I love this time of year. They've got little tiny buds all over them. We've got a late spring. It's been wet and cold. But the promise, the last ones to bud, the last ones to flower, the last ones to fruit will be the apple trees in the fall, and it'll be November when the apples are ready to be harvested. They're entering what we would call radish season. The uh, barley is the first, and it's, it's April, uh, late April, early May. Uh, and, and so th- the author has given us this time frame, which is relevant to the rest of the story. The rest of this story has everything to do with harvesting, first barley and later wheat and, and, and so forth. So there's the first chapter. It sets the stage. Uh, Elimelech has died, and out in Moab, in godless Moab, a widow weeps tonight. Now, I could go on. I, in fact, I messed around with this once. I took songs from the 50s and 60s and, and saw how frequently I could change the words of this book and tell it with the melodies of the 50s and 60s. It was kind of a fun little project, but we won't mess with it now. Now we get into chapter 2, and, and the story advances very quickly and turns from these two women 
to the man Boaz. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Verse 2, and Ruth the Moab. Now see, you get to verse 2. Verse 1, what he does is he gives us little, this little tidbit of information. He introduces Boaz. Boaz is a relative of Elimelech. Uh, but, but verse 2, okay, we did that. Now we're going to go over here and do something else. Completely separate. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Isn't that nice? She doesn't call her daughter-in-law. Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. You know how that works, huh? It's, this is all done by hand. There was no John Deere back then. And they walked through the fields. They cut. Now it's the barley because it's barley uh, harvest. They cut the barley, but they always, you can't help it. You're going to leave some behind. And that's where the gleaners go. The Mosaic Law specifies that you're not to go back over a, a plot of land twice. You only get to go th- once when you harvest. And what remains, what you didn't get the first time, must be left for the poor and for the stranger in the land. And they can come along and glean what you left behind. Ruth has asked Naomi, uh, listen, we're in dire straits here. Look, there are no jobs for us. How are we going to make it uh, at all? How are we going to have any food? I'll go glean. That was tough work, huh? It wasn't like harvesting because there's not much left. You work hard for what little bit you get during the day. But but you got to love the second half of verse 3, the first half. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now you should underline this next. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. We've circled back. We've picked up Boaz. It just so happened. That's like in air quotes, huh? It just so happened. God is at work. It is very clear that God is at work. And these two women, Naomi and Ruth, are going to look back and see God was at work. This is not coincidence. I tell people I believe in coincidence if you spell it with a capital C. God is very much at work. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. See, these cities were typically built on a hill because they were most defensible if they were up high and and any attack would have to come from beneath them. And they would come out. Boaz now comes out of the city of Bethlehem and walks down. It's not a very steep hill, but there is a hill. Walks down the hill to go check to see how his, um, his harvesters, his reapers are doing. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he told the reapers, he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. That's just a greeting, right? And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? See, he recognizes, well, he doesn't. That's the point. He doesn't recognize Ruth. He hasn't seen her before. It's a small enough village. Everybody knows everybody, and they know who the poor people are, and they know who would go out and glean after the reapers. But here's a lady he doesn't recognize. Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a very short rest. She has already stood out as 
first different, but then a very hard worker. She's distinguished herself for only having taken a short rest. It appears that the, the uh, harvesters, the reapers, are women. Ruth then becomes part of a small group of women who follow behind the harvesters and reap. And, and Boaz has just learned about that about her. Now there's an interaction between the two of them directly. Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women, that is, the harvesters. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now we, now we learn that Boaz was aware of who Ruth was before he realized, oh, this woman, who is that woman? I don't reckon, ah, that's Ruth. He has heard about, about Ruth's character and that she has stuck with her mother-in-law and aided her in resettling and just a good woman. And so he says, now, now listen, you stick with, with my uh, harvesters. You follow be- along behind them. Don't go into another field because who knows what harm might come to you. And when, it, when you get thirsty, you can drink from the water that is for my workers. I'm going to take care of you. He attributes that to the fact that he respects what she has done for her mother-in-law. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and then she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, this is a little bit of a wink here, isn't there? Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. What's going on here? Boaz admires Ruth and he admires her for what she has done for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And he wants to repay her for the kindness that she has shown to Naomi. So she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw, and her mother-in-law asked, Hey, what happened? Tell me, how come you, how come you bring this much home? And she tells the story, and she tells about Boaz. Well, Naomi recognizes Boaz. I mean, she, she knows him because Boaz is a relative of her late husband. And so she says, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. That would be all of the crops. This is a long time. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young, men, his young women. 
lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Okay, we have to go back up because she says in verse 20, Naomi said to her, The man is a close relative of ours and one of our redeemers. I hope that you'll circle that word and underline it and make an arrow point to it from the margin. And in the margin, write the word goel, G-O-E-L, a capital G-O-E, and then put those two little dots over the top of the E because that's how you write this word, goel. It's, it's two syllables, go and then ale. It is redeemer, and that's the way it's translated here. However, that doesn't begin to tell us what that word means, and that word is absolutely essential to understanding this book and the man uh, Boaz and what he does. So here we are at the end of part one. Uh, hang in there. Let's go uh, to part two, talk more about Goel and how this wonderful story ends. <laughs> 